So Romans chapter 10, a little unusual. Sometimes we have a little more text. We will have a lot later on. But I want to open this morning with a single text. If, you, if you're open in your Bible, Romans chapter 10, say amen. amen. If you'll be there in a minute, well, don't say amen. Just keep turning. Verse number 17, you ready? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by. Y'all want to say it with me? The Word of God. I want to look at a message this morning titled, Faith is the Key. Do we have our little, Faith is the Key. See, I like that, Dale. You did good. Thank you very much. So, so if you put that up, a lot of people might wonder the key to what? Because I'm sure the key to a lot of stuff, right? You got a key to a house, key to your car, key to the church, key to where you work. There's, there's keys to a lot of things. It, it's a pretty simple one word answer. Faith is the key to everything. Father, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for peace. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, God, that you alone have increased our faith, that you alone are worthy of our faith. You alone are the center of our faith, the only thing that holds our faith up. You are the one true faithful God. You've never failed us. You've never let us down. You've never forsaken us. You've never left us out in a storm, God. You've always been there, and you always will be. You've given us a promise that this life isn't the end of anything. This is just a little temporary passing through, but there's a great day coming, Father. I thank you for the promise of eternity and the faithfulness of it that you've given us, Father. Lord, I pray would you meet with us this morning. I pray, God, even just in this next few minutes, would you increase our faith. I pray that you would increase our testimony, help us to be a better servant. God, we pray most of all that you alone would be pleased. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you. We trust you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. I, I'm, I'm going to need a, a couple people to help me. I'm just going to come to you, but I'm going to bring my cheat sheet with me because I got, I got some stuff printed out. Y'all don't mind if I bring my cheat sheet with me, do you? I, 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 need, I just need to ask a couple questions. You help me out real quick. Question. Do you believe in oxygen? Oxygen. Yeah. Have, have, do, do you have any proof? Have you ever seen oxygen? No, sir. Never seen it. Have you ever held it in your hand? you ever touched it? But yet you believe in oxygen. So the truth is we really believe in oxygen by faith because others have, have told us about it. What about carbon dioxide? You believe in carbon dioxide? You've never held it. You've never touched it. You've never handled it. You have no visible proof. There's nothing there that you've seen, but yet we believe in oxygen and carbon dioxide. So what it says, science says that when you inhale or breathe in, the air enters your lungs and oxygen from that air moves into your blood. At the same time, carbon dioxide, which is a waste gas, moves from your blood into the lungs and is, is exhaled, exhaled or breathed out. And this process is called a, a gas exchange, and it is essential to life. So what, what they say, you, you believe that about oxygen and carbon dioxide. So the truth is, we, we just believe it, and the honest answer is by faith. We don't know that. I, I don't know how to study it. But we simply believe in what someone else said. So, so that, that's called faith. So I got another one. If I get a picture up there of, of the North Pole, and I'm going to ask Brother Tycho if anybody has ever been to the North Pole, it would be him. He drives across the ocean weeks at a time carrying those huge container ships out there and, and sailing the stormy seas that aren't always so calm. So if anybody has ever been to the North Pole, it would probably be you. You ever been to the North Pole? Never been to the North Pole. 
You ever been to North Pole, brother? No, sir. Nobody's in here been to North Pole. Do you book? Huh? No, North Pole. So, so do you believe the North Pole exists? Yes, sir. Why, why would you believe that if you've never been there? I was taught that. You was taught that. So <clears throat> what Google says is that the North Pole is at the center of the northern hemisphere. The nearest land is using, I don't know where they come up with these names right here. I'll give it my best shot and y'all laugh if you want to. The nearest land is usually said to be... <laughs> Kofekla Lubin something island off the northern coast of Greenland. The North Pole isn't much to see. That, that's what it said. Look, it's got one of your ships sitting out there in the middle of it. If you want to go there, that's about your only way to get there. It says North Pole isn't much to see. It's a watery place where sea ice drifts across the Arctic Ocean. No people live there, just some walruses and, and some polar bears. So do you believe that what they tell us that this is the North Pole? See, the only reason we can believe that is by, by faith. Because others have told us of such. I, I have somebody else. She owns a, a commercial airline company. Well, you might as well. You have a free pass to fly around the world anywhere you want to go. You work for them your whole life. I mean, she's at least co-owner of a commercial airline. So, so Steve and Tracy, they've literally been all over the world. So if anybody has ever been to the South Pole, it's Tracy. You ever been to the South Pole? No. Never been? Can I... Can, can, can I get a picture of the South Pole? This will be your next place. Go ahead and buy your plane ticket. Well, I don't know. You're going to have to land somewhere and take a boat into there. So, so this is it's also called Antarctica. And this is what science says about the temperature of both places. This is going to encourage you. This is going to make you really want to go to the South Pole. It says that the average annual temperature at the North Pole is minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter. Now, in the summertime, it gets really hot in the North Pole because the average daily temperature is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So it almost gets to freezing. But here's why you're going to want to go to the South Pole. The South Pole's averages are far frostier with an average daily temperature of 76 degrees below zero in the wintertime. So you probably want to wait and go in the summer, right? Because in the summer, the average daily temperature is 18 degrees below zero. Man, I just want to make, get your bikinis right out, won't it? Get right on out on the beach. So science says that East Antarctic Plateau is the coldest place on Earth, but it's not the coldest permanently inhabited area. That record is held by, and here's some more of those names, Berka, Hoya, Sank, something, another, and another one is, is Amaya Khan in northeastern Siberia. Now, this is towns where people live, and they have recorded the, the lowest temperatures at 90 degrees below zero. That'll make you want to get right outside and enjoy your day, won't it? So, you've never been to the South Pole with all your flying and the millions of miles flying. Steve, you ever been there? You didn't slip out one night and run up there, did you? They won't ever been there. Do you believe they exist? Do you believe the temperatures are that cold? So why would we believe that? By faith. Yeah, simply by faith in what somebody... Let, let, me, let, me, do, let me do one more. Let me see who's out here in the foyer. Tyrone, who you got out here in the foyer? All y'all on security? You on security? You. You on security? You got the foyer? Who's supposed to have the sanctuary? Well, they're all busy out there. I'm not going to bring them in. They're, they're, they're protecting us. Tyrone, I'm going to stay with you so I don't want it dangerous, right? I want to I keep the doors guarded. Can I get a picture of the Milky Way galaxy? 
So do you believe that that is the Milky Way galaxy? So why, why would we believe that? Here, here's what science says. The Milky Way is a huge collection of stars, dust, and gas. It's called a spiral galaxy because if you could view it from the top or bottom, it would look like a, a spinning pinwheel. It says the sun is located on one of the spiral arms about 25,000 light years away from the center of the galaxy. That means if you could travel 186,000 miles per second, that's screaming right there, that the speed of light, it would take you 25,000 years to get to the center of the galaxy from the sun. But I'm a little curious. Am I the only one that sees a bright light dead in the middle of it? So I'm thinking if the sun, it's that one over there two-thirds of the way out of there. You can kind of see a little bit of light. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, if that's the sun, well, what's the bright light in the middle of it? So I asked Google, you know what it says that bright light is? Oh, who said that? Smart Ellie. <laughs> a black hole. Now, why is a black hole so bright? So y'all know that made me ask more questions, right? It says that there are thousands of stars in there, and it showed a thing over 20 years of them moving around and producing light, but... I'm a little concerned about that one because if the earth and the sun are not a lot different in the distance from the center and the sun has such a bearing effect on our planet, then why can I not even see that light? But that's a whole nother time. I don't have time to get into that, right? I just, I just have to believe that one's out there. So have you ever, Ms. Tyrone, you ever been to the Milky Way? Well, actually science says we have. According to science, as long as we're on this earth or any of its surrounding planets or stars, we, that's actually our permanent address. According to science, we, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. So the reality is that, that, that we've all been there. It says the earth is located about halfway between the center of the Milky Way and its outer edge. So I asked Google, how many galaxies are there? And it says that the Hubble Deep Field, an extremely long exposure. Thank you, Brother Tyrone. An extremely long exposure. Where was I at? Of a relatively empty part of the sky provided evidence that there are about 125 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Now, that's just one galaxy. Another article using a different approach, it says, This tiny patch of sky full of galaxies, almost 10,000 in that tiny patch, and it, there's all different shapes and all different sizes. And by multiplying this number by the number of times that this tiny patch would take to fit in the entire sky, astronomers have come up with an estimate between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. Anybody believe that? Isn't it amazing that God said that he spoke, that he created the stars. He telleth the number of the stars and called them all by name. And he spoke it into existence. Let me ask you something. If we can believe that a man tells us that is the Milky Way, can we not believe God? This is, I know exactly what it looks like. I formed it. See, the, the truth is, this, this is, this is all about faith. Because when I look at the, the Milky Way galaxy, I mean, look at that. that that's a picture of it, right? I, I'm a little curious. Who took the picture? So I asked Google that one. And it says several different telescopes, both on the ground and in space, have taken images of the disk of the Milky Way by taking a series of pictures in different directions, a bit like taking panoramic pictures from your camera or phone. Now, another article is a little bit more honest about the situation. It says, search the Internet, which I did. <laughs> 
for pictures of the Milky Way, which I did, and there's lots of them. That's our home galaxy. It says, you'll find all sorts of images. You'll find bright smudges across the night sky taken by high-end cameras. You'll find a horizontal streak taken by powerful telescopes. And you will find the entire spiral galaxy taken by, wait a second. If we live inside the Milky Way, then how do we have pictures of the entire Milky Way? It says, spoiler alert, we don't, at least not real ones. So what we have here, this is what man perceives the Milky Way galaxy to look like based on their best guess, based on the limited amount of information that we do have. So, so here's a simple question. Do you believe that's true? Anybody believe that's probably close to true? I'm naive enough, I guess. I, I do. I don't know if that's really what it looks like. I don't know if that's exactly what it looks like. But I do know that God has given us some amazing technology. Anybody say amen? You take a man's heart out, work on it on a table for a little bit, stick it back in, send him home in a couple of days. That's some amazing technology to me. The telescopes look out and they can see other galaxies and they can compare similar things to our galaxies, the pictures they have. So based on the technology that they have, that I would tend to believe that that's probably pretty close to right, at least in the general vicinity of being right. Why would I believe that? It's just faith. It's faith in what somebody else has told us. Now, here's the truth about faith. Faith is not a religious word. Faith is not a church word. Faith isn't a Bible-based word. So I was curious because I was looking at faith, and sometimes it looks like a noun, sometimes like a verb. So I asked Google another question. Y'all don't, don't mind Google, you know, it's supposed to be pretty smart, right? So you can ask most anything. And, and here's what it says. I wanted to know what part of speech is it, because it seems to be different at times. And what it says is faith is a noun. By definition, it is belief, confidence, or trust. But here's what it says. This is Google. There is some intelligence in Google. In the Bible, faith is a verb. Not just a verb, an action verb. It says in the biblical sense, faith is a verb, an action verb. Google says in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the author lists a number of familiar examples of faith in action. From Abraham and Sarah to Moses to Samson, Samuel and David. So even Google tells us that Hebrews chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith, is simply faith in action. Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Here's the definition of faith. To persuade, to draw towards anything, to believe or to obey. Then it gives four examples. Number one, belief. It is the ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another. Resting on his authority and veracity without any other evidence. The judgment of what another states or testifies is the truth. So it's simply believing what somebody else says. Number two, it is the ascent of the mind to the truth of a proposition advanced by another. Belief or probable evidence of any kind. Number three, in theology, the ascent of the mind or understanding to the truth of what God has revealed. Simple belief of the scriptures, uh, of the being and perfections of God and the existence, character, and doctrines of Christ founded on the testimony of the sacred writers, which is called historical or speculative faith. 
Number four, evangelical. Justifying or saving faith is the ascent of the mind to the truth of divine revelation on the authority of God's testimony, accompanied with a cordial ascent of, of the declarations and in the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender of the will to his guidance and dependent on his merits for salvation. In other words, the firm belief of God's testimony and the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. So in reality, the word faith isn't a religious word at all. Yet it is probably the most important word in all of the Bible when it comes to salvation. I've already given you this quote twice that I know of from D. Elton Trueblood. That it says, faith is not belief without proof. It's trust without reservation. If you can believe that that is the Milky Way galaxy, if you can believe that those are pictures of the North Pole and the South Pole, and you've never been there, you've never touched it, if you can believe in oxygen and carbon dioxide, if you can believe those things, it's simply faith. Not, it, it, it is exactly what he says right here. It is trust without reservation. You know the word faith is used in the word of God 247 times? 231 different verses. You know you've heard it said if God said something that's pretty important, you better read it. But if God said it twice, he means something. What if he said it 247 times? Probably pretty important, right? Something I thought was pretty important also about it is of 245 of the 247 times that faith is used in the word of God is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we only have it twice. The first time we see the word faith is talking about no faith. It says, Deuteronomy 32, 20, he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a forward generation, children in whom is no faith. That's the first time we see it in the Bible. The next time we see it, way further over, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Y'all ready? You see it? But the just shall live by his faith. The New Testament has a lot to say about it. The book of Romans considered to be Paul's greatest epistle. As a matter of fact, it's called the crown jewel of salvation. The book of Romans alone talks about faith 39 times. The first time that we find the word faith here in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25, which is about two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts a sermon in Matthew chapter 5, concludes it at the end of chapter 7. And Jesus says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to a stature? And why take ye thought of raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is in the Mars, cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So the first time that it's mentioned in the Bible is talking about no faith. And then the first time that Jesus mentioned it here in the New Testament is talking about a little faith. So I, I, want, I want to take a minute and I, I, want to, I want to share something personal over the past couple, three weeks. But, but I truly believe it, it can help you because I, I've said something probably a hundred times. 
And in all honesty, it makes all the common sense in the world. I've said it because I believed it. I've said it because I thought it was true, but I'm not so sure that's right. You know, if we want to get stronger, what do you do? Work out. If you want to increase your maximum, you do reps with lighter weights. And you keep doing reps and reps and reps. And you do it over and over, day in, day out. And then it builds up your maximum, increases your strength. If you want to gain in stamina, you want to gain in endurance, you want to be able to run further, you run, you push, you, you work out. And life is the same. In order to grow our faith, we must exercise our faith. Anything you want to grow, you, you've got to exercise. And I have no idea where I got this from. I've said it for a long time. I don't know if I heard it somewhere. I don't know if I read it or if it's just something in my own feeble, mistaken mind that I made up. But here's what I've said a lot of times. I've said that our faith can only be as strong as our strongest storm. And if you want your faith to be increased greater than where you are, you'll have to go through something greater than what you've been through. That's wrong. That's wrong. I think it's wrong, and I tell you why. Because God started doing something, man. I'm fixing to share it with you a little bit back uh, about faith, and and I began looking for that. And to be honest, I can't prove that with the scriptures. There's a lot of things I can prove about faith in the scriptures, but but that's not one of them. Because this right here doesn't say anything in our text. Doesn't say anything about the size of the storm. It says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The word of God. So it doesn't say anything about the size of the storms. Now, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's something that, that I've learned in the past few weeks. There's nothing in your life that God can't use to teach you. There's nothing in your life that God cannot use to increase your faith. I was working in the yard a few weeks ago. And, and the birds were out doing their thing. And I was, well, anybody like watching the birds and, you know, the squirrels and the chipmunk, you know, Alvin and the gang, man. They're like the bomb, right? I love them running around. And a couple of eastern bluebirds was making a nest in the house. I thought it was a strange time of year. And this is before all the storms and all. Maybe they're making a place to... Get out of the cold. I thought it was a strange time of year that they'd be working so, <clears throat> so, so hard building a nest there in that, that bluebird house. But I was watching them. But then I noticed something. I noticed that the bird feeders in the yard are empty. My wife noticed a few days ago. She said, oh, the bird feeders are full. Yeah, I didn't tell you why. See, my, my wife... One thing I learned traveling and preaching, you can't just take four or five messages and go travel around different churches, preach the same messages if your wife travels with you, because she's got to get fed too. So I, I didn't tell her what the feeders were about, but she, she can learn why. In the summertime, I keep all the bird feeders full, because all the birds come and they fight and they flutter around, and they get it all over the ground, and the doves come get it off the ground, and the little chipmunks come and the squirrels fight. So you're out by the pool, you're out doing things, because it's not that... Average temperature of 18 below zero, right? Thank God we're not, we're not in Antarctica. We're, we're in Georgia. And, and there's some warmth. And, and Robin's always outside working and working in her flowers and doing stuff outside. And we just enjoy watching them. So I keep the feeders full. But I noticed that they were empty. And here's something that I know about myself. They're always empty in the wintertime. 
They're always full from spring to fall. They're always in the winter. You know what that tells me? It tells me I'm not doing it for the birds. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for my pleasure. I'm doing it for, for my enjoyment. But here was my question. What do the birds do to survive in the winter so that I can enjoy them again next summer? Here is the honest answer. They depend on a God who never lets them down. And not on a man who does stuff for his own glory, who does stuff for his own enjoyment, who does stuff for his own gain, and whether he means to or not, can at times let you down. Now, needless to say, they're full now. But even after noticing that, it was a continual. Everywhere I went reminded me of those bird feeders. God kept that on my mind. This was a faith deal that I was dealing with. And even then, it took me a couple of weeks before I finally picked up a big old bag and went and, and filled the feeders because God showed me these empty feeders for a reason. God used an empty bird feeder to increase my faith. You listening? I didn't have to go through hell on earth. I didn't have to go through the worst trial of my life. I didn't have to go through something great for God to increase my faith. He took a bird feeder and he showed me that I can thank God that he doesn't just feed me in the summertime. He doesn't just take care of me on the sunny days. He doesn't just take care of me out by the pool. But he takes care of me in the wintertime. He takes care of me when the ice is on the ground. He takes care of me when the storms come through. He takes care of me when life is dark and gloomy. And God began to increase my faith just over some empty feeders. I realize that, that this, this empty bird feeder, it's easy for me to have faith in God because he's never let me down. He, he's always there. He, it didn't take a bigger storm to increase my faith that day. All it took was spending some time reading God's word, spending some time praying, spending some time shutting your mouth and listening, seeing while you're enjoying something, seeing that God has to say, look at the empty feeder, son. Pay attention to the feeder. It's empty. Why didn't you fill the feeder? All it took to grow my faith was an empty bird feeder and just listen to God for a little bit. Now, all that's free. That's not the message. That, that's, that's just what's been going on for a few weeks. The birds will benefit from it because, Lord willing, those things will stay full because God's shown me something. But here's back to the message. I would tend to believe that faith is the most important voluntary action in our lives. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 1, talking about Jesus, says he entered a ship and he passed over and he came into his own city. Behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Listen, the, the man was healed at that very moment because of faith. The storm did not give him his faith. The, the sickness, the challenge, the thing that he was going through did not give them their faith. They already had the faith. The situation just proved the level of their faith. A few verses down, the woman with the issue of blood, she touches the hem of his garment. Jesus turned around and said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Touching the hem of his garment didn't give her her faith. Touching the hem of his garment didn't increase her faith. She already had the faith. The action that she did simply proved the level of her faith. You go down a few more verses. Verse number 29. A couple of blind men come. And Jesus, this is what he said. According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. Jesus did not say, 
I am going to open your eyes and increase your faith. What Jesus said, I am going to let your faith open your eyes. Oh, hello. Anybody need your eyes open? Anybody need God to show up in your life? Anybody need God to do something special for you right where you are? Anybody need for God to calm a storm, heal a sickness? Anybody need for God to step in and make a way out of no way? Listen, it's not that God's going to do that to increase our faith, but God says it is our faith that can do those things. If we just put our trust, Hebrews chapter 11, that even Google spoke of, we talked a minute ago, known as the Hall of Faith. Verse number seven says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not yet as seen or not seen as yet, he moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out for a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned on in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with the same promise. And it goes on and on and on and on, talking about people, about their faith and how God subdued things and calmed storms and quenched the miles of lions and how God did things through their faith. But that's the Bible, right? That's, that's the heroes of faith. That's Abraham, the friend of God. That, that, I mean, that's the Old Testament heroes. That's the study. What about me? What about me? What about my faith? Not, not, not these Old Testament saints. Well, here's what Hebrews starts out. Chapter 11, verse number 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's us. That, that's faith in everybody. Everybody from Adam until the end of the world. That, that, that includes everybody. Now, verse number 2, he talks about the elders. For by it, talking about faith, he says that the elders obtained a good report. But look at verse number 3. Through faith. Y'all see that word? Who's that? If I say we, then that includes me. If I say we, that, that's you and I. So the Holy Spirit penned a word through, through the hand of the writer. Some credit the Hebrews to the Apostle Paul. We don't really have an exact knowledge because it's not signed. But what we do know is that the Holy Spirit penned through the hand of man... In chapter 11 of Hebrews, in verse number 3, he said, Through faith, we understand. The worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. That means that for me, by faith, that settles the creation story. I do not need the lies of men to try to come up with a theory and write it down on paper and put it down, because I already have the facts. Verse number 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Romans chapter 5, I mentioned 39 times in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have Access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what saith? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart, is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made 
unto salvation. So that believing of the heart, that's called faith. Second Corinthians, Paul, still the writer, chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I've never seen heaven, but I'm going to. I've never seen the face of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but I'm going to. I've never seen the streets of gold, the crystal river. I've never seen 12 gates and each gate of a several pearl. I've never seen the foundations with the names of the apostles on it. I've never seen the foundations of the wall garnished with all manner of precious stone. I've never seen the place where there is no need for the light, for the Lamb of God is its light and there is no night. I've never seen it, but by faith I'm going to. It is by faith. We, we are confident, I say, since we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The fact is, life is all about faith. One day, soon enough, those of us who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, on this day, we walk by faith. But one day, soon enough, our faith will be our sight. One day soon enough, we will no longer need any faith because we will be living in, in that place. So how do we increase our faith? How do we increase our walk with God? How do we draw closer to the Lord? How do we gain in our love for God? How do we increase our relationship with Christ while walking in this life? A very short and a very inconclusive list is read God's word. Number two, spend time in prayer. Number three, spend time listening to his voice. Many people say, how do I know the voice of God? I don't have time to back up and re-preach a sermon from months ago, but you know the voice of the people you talk to often. When your wife calls out, she can be in a crowd, a room full of noise, and she can holler from across the room, but you're going to know who it is. In spite of all the noise, in spite of all the distraction, in spite of all that's going there, you let somebody in your family, somebody that you talk to often, somebody that you know, somebody you spend a lot of time with, somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, somebody that you hear their voice often, regardless of the noise, regardless of the distraction, when they speak your name, you will hear it. The reason too many Christians don't hear the voice of God is because they don't sit down and shut up long enough to listen to it. They don't spend enough time reading that book and when they get through, pray and sit there and listen for a while. They don't spend enough time listening to the Holy Spirit when they're going somewhere that they're not supposed to go and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, don't go there. So you turn the radio up. Changes channels, put it off. We don't spend time listening, but if we will spend time in communication with the Father, we will understand the sound of His voice and that's how we grow in our faith. The more time we spend talking to others and telling others about what God has done for me, that is a reminder of the good things God has done in my life. And it will increase my faith. But not only that, it will encourage other people to tell you about what God has done in their lives. And that too will increase our faith. But if we truly want to increase our faith in God, the first thing is we have to read the Word of God. See, if we've never read the book, if we don't read the book daily, then all we really have is faith in what others have told you about it. It's no different than what you believe about the Milky Way galaxy. It's no different than what you believe about the North and South Pole. Now, here's the truth. 
You can get five different pictures of the Milky Way galaxy that look somewhat similar, painted by five different men, and they all argue that theirs is right. And you have to decide who to believe. Because you have no real, real proof of it. Do you know why science in English gives homework assignments? Do you know why they send you home with, with a textbook and tell you as a homework assignment to go home and read the lesson? Because they want you to read it for yourself. They, want it, they don't want to be misunderstanding. They, they don't want to put it out. They, they want you to read the text for yourself. Now, now, here's the truth. I would never, I would never deliberately tell anybody anything that's not true. I would never deliberately do anything to hurt this church. Y'all need to understand, I, outside of my family, it's God first. I got a t-shirt that says, God first, family second, Georgia football third. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I had to squeeze that one in there. But right around in there comes this church. I really have to bump Georgia down. I enjoy football, but there ain't nothing like this church. I, I love this church. You know what I'm talking about? But the only thing even close to you is the children of the Lighthouse Home in Costa Rica. I genuinely love those children. I love the Lighthouse Children's Home. I love those. I love this church. I, I love the people in this church. And, and it is my desire to make it where everybody around me, everybody I know, I want them to know more about the Scripture. I want them to know more about God because I want to increase their joy. I want everybody that I ever talked to to increase their joy and to grow in their relationship with the Lord that they might live a happy life. But I'm the guy that didn't fill the bird feeders. Now, understand, I, I, I love the birds. I, I enjoy watching the birds. But I made a mistake and I let the birds down. See, we're just humans. We, we, we make mistakes. Greg, you guys come on up. Give everybody some hope. If there was an accident out here on the four lane and a few cars was involved, several people saw it happen. There was people coming from all angles and they all saw the accident. Now you got there right after it happened and one told you the story about what happened. Then another one come up and they told you the story about what happened, but it's different than what the last one told. And say five people viewed this accident. And all five of them came and they gave you a description of what happened. And all five descriptions may be close, but they're all different. And in that different description, whose fault it is varies. Now, what you've got to do, because you've heard multiple people say multiple things about the same thing. You've got to decide who you're going to believe. But what if you saw the accident yourself? See, if you were an eyewitness to it, you saw who actually ran the red light or who actually swerved across the line. You saw who started the chain reaction. You saw how it all unfolded. And now when five different people come to you with their story, you can go, mm-mm, mm-mm, you got it right. Mm-mm, because you actually saw what happened. Now, 2 Timothy says in chapter 3 and verse 1, This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Chapter number 4, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 
After their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Second Peter tells us, chapter 3, verse number 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. They are filling feeders for their own benefit. Saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So they're mocking the scriptures. Matthew chapter 24, you're going to read that in your daily reading. If you're doing it through, I think it'll be along about Friday. You're going to get to this part right here where, where Jesus answered. And he said, take heed that no man deceive you. What's the best way to not be deceived? Know the truth. For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. All these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Y'all ready for this one, verse number 9? They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. Ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This is the gospel of the, or this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then, then shall the end come. If you want to be able to recognize a counterfeit, Study the original. If you want to be able to recognize right from wrong, study the right. If you want to know original from counterfeit, you study the original closely and often, and then the counterfeit will look counterfeit. See, all, all I'm saying is if we want to have a real, genuine faith, then put the Word of God in your heart yourself. Don't, don't put it, don't put all your trust in man. Because even if a man loves you and would never intentionally let you down, he still can accidentally. Even if a man loves you and would never intentionally hurt you, he can accidentally not fill the feeders because he didn't see the importance of the feeders. See, I love you. And I'm going to tell you the truth as often as I know it, as best as I know it. But I'm the guy that didn't fill the feeders. You have a God that has never let your feet run dry. You have a God that is just like in the days of Elijah when there was a little handful of meal and a couple drops of oil, but the meal never wasted and the oil never ran dry. There is never a time that he'll run out of provisions for you. There is never a time that he will not fill the feeder for you. There is never a time that he will forget and, and, and say, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot to fill it. I wonder how they're going to get by without me never going to happen but if you want to strengthen your faith you want to grow closer to God you want to feel that oneness it's really just as simple you read the book because our text simply says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God don't let anything substitute don't let anything stand in the way of reading this book yourself
Devotions are awesome. But they're a man's opinion. I could have done a devotion about the size of your faith being equivalent to the size of your storm. You remember when the disciples, after Jesus preached, and they got on, Jesus went alone himself in the mountain to pray, and he sent the disciples across the sea of Galilee, and the storm came, and they all feared, and the wind's blowing, and they were all fearing for their lives, and Jesus came walking on the sea. The Bible says, and would have passed them by. They cried out in fear, thinking it was a ghost. And Jesus said, it is I. Peter said, Lord, if it's thee, bid me that I should come out of thee on the water, right? There was an opportunity to display the size of his faith. It wasn't about building his faith. It was faith on display. Faith on display is based on what you've already seen. Faith on display is what you've already read. Faith on display is what you already believe. It was the size of his faith that allowed him to get out of the boat and walk on the water. The reason he began to sink. It's because he began to forget about the things God had done. He began to see the storm. He began to see that the winds were boisterous. And he began to lose track of the reality of who God was. And the Bible says he began to sink. And and the Lord reached out and took him by the hand. He said, Lord, save me. And he did. But Jesus called Peter, O ye of what? See, that was his faith on display. So the size of your storm isn't what determined the size of your faith. It was the faith you already had on display. And you don't have to go through a greater storm. Sorry I told you that. I I can't prove that. I believed it, but I can't prove that. What I can prove is that reading this book and spending time with God can increase the size of my faith that no matter how big the next storm is, God will see me through it can hold my head up. I can share testimony about others. I, 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 can, I can survive a broken heart. I, I can survive storms. That's not what's going to make my faith. What's going to make my faith is what I do prior to the storms. Amen. I'll ask you guys if you would, if you'd stand. I, I want us to pray together. I want us to pray together. God, increase my faith. You know, looking at it the other way, I told you there was a little bit of, of scariness in there because if I said God increased my faith and I believe that the only way my faith can get stronger is to go through something bigger than I've been through, then I really don't want to pray that prayer, do I? Because I really feel like I've been through enough and I really don't want to go through anything more than that. So it makes me a little bit pessimistic about saying God increased my faith because I don't want to go through what's going to come. But knowing that what increases my faith is the Word of God, Knowing what increases my faith is reading his book. Knowing that my, what increases my faith is spending time with him. What I'm saying is, God, help me read more effectively. Help me pray more fervently. Help me trust more earnestly. Ask, I ask, Father, I'm asking, increase my faith. It becomes a much safer prayer. Knowing that God will help me. So when we don't read our Bible in the morning times and we think of it in the middle of the day, that's the Holy Spirit reminding us. I'm not telling you you messed up. I am telling you like we looked at last week, it's better to water plants in the morning. It just does more good. It's better to read it in the morning to give you faith for the day. But just because we forgot in the morning, it's better to go back and put water on it sometimes than not water it at all. 
you know, the day gets in the way. And before you know it, you've made it home and it's evening time. You've ate dinner. You sit down in your chair and the Holy Spirit reminds you again. You ain't read your Bible yet. Sure is cozy here in my, in my comfy recliner. I got all my lounging britches. And my Bible's all the way over there, eight foot away on that desk. I mean, I got a pack of lunch to travel eight feet to go get that thing. I'll, I'll get up, in a little bit, I'll have to get up anyway. You know, I need to go to the bathroom, so I'll get it when I get up. Before you know it, you done drifted off to sleep, and you got up and went to bed, and you didn't read it. It's not because the Holy Spirit did not attempt to increase your faith. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us, read the book. Read the book. It's not just an assignment. It's not just a faith Baptist church together. It's about us. It's about individual. It's about we. It's about me. Lord, increase my faith. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. I want to ask if there's anybody, live stream, YouTube, anybody in the house, you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to wash away all your sin, erase the guilt of your past, old things pass away, and he will write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and make all things new. If you've never put your faith in Christ, you can do that this morning. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner? With the mouth, confession is made. The faith in your heart believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin named Mary died on Calvary's cross, shed his blood for remission of your sins, rose from the grave on the third day. That is the things you believe by faith. The confession is made by the mouth. Father, forgive me of my sins, for I know there are many. All my sins are against you and you alone. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Make me a child of the King. You pray those things in Jesus' name and ask him to save your soul. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your past, forgive you of your sins, and save your soul. But it's not a lip service. It's a heart surrender. Father, I'm surrendering my heart to you. I'm trusting in you to save me. For all God's children, they're going to sing a song. We're going to sing it together. You can rejoice. You can thank him for all the things he's already done. You can pray about the things you need him to do right now. You can simply pray, Lord, increase my faith. Help me to grow, to serve you better. 